it's good to be with you again. I want to speak about um, forgiving our enemies. Jesus encouraged us to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us. So it's a marvelous thing, a wonderful grace from God, a sign of God's presence in the world, when ordinary people have an extraordinary grace to forgive their enemies and to pray a blessing on those who offend them. This is really the heart of Jesus. You know, he had been hated, persecuted, humiliated, and condemned to death, yet he met it with forgiveness. Now, when his spirit is within us, we have the inner power to do the same, to love our enemies, which otherwise would just be impossible. I'll give you some examples. In May 1966, the GIA, a radical Islamic group in Algeria, kidnapped seven Trappist monks. This happened in the Atlas Mountains in a very remote region. Uh, when the French government refused to cooperate with the demands of the radical Islamics, they wanted to have some of their men uh, released from prison. When the French government refused to do that, they simply killed the monks by slitting their throats. But two years beforehand, the prior of the monastery had written a letter. And it's a beautiful letter where he was presuming he was going to be killed at some point because there was so much trouble in the region. And the letter was forgiving his future assassins. He sealed it and sent it to his mother for safekeeping, only to be opened uh, on the occasion of his violent death. And that's what happened. So the letter anticipated his death at the hands of the terrorists, and this is what he said, some of it. I would like, when the time comes, to have a space of clarity that would allow me to forgive with all my heart the one who will strike me down. Then he goes on to say that he gives thanks to God for the opportunity of martyrdom and gives thanks, quote, to my last-minute friend who will not have known what you are doing. I commend you to God in whose face I see yours. And may we find each other happy good thieves in paradise, if it please God, the Father of both of us. What an extraordinary grace that man had two years before his death to have written, already forgiving, his assassin, the one who cut his throat. He knew his fate, but he refused to give in to hate, hate of your enemies. But rather, he was a witness of love and mercy. Another example, during the... Uh, Armenian genocide at the early part of the last century, a Turkish officer raided and looted an Armenian house. He killed the parents, but there are a number of daughters. He gave the daughters over to his soldiers to be used as they will. He took the oldest one for his own use, and he abused her uh, 
many times uh, using her uh, as, as his uh, prostitute. She finally escaped and, and got back to uh, Armenian territory and, and trained as a nurse. And ironically, she was actually appointed as a nurse to a ward that was looking after captured Turkish officers because they'd been sort of uh, wounded uh, greatly. And as she was doing her rounds with the lantern uh, one night, she saw the face of the man who had killed her parents and had handed her, her daughters, uh, her, her sisters over to, to the soldiers and who had raped her a number of times. And she was taken aback. But then she knew her duty. Uh, he was very close to death. And so she spent her time really working to bring this man through uh, his crisis. And in fact, she was successful after a number of weeks. He recovered sufficiently to be able to speak. And when this nurse was doing the rounds one day with the doctor, the doctor said to this man, you should be very grateful for this young nurse because unless she'd been so dedicated to your survival, you wouldn't have lasted. She gave everything for you. And he took a close look at her and he said, he was taken aback and he said, I know you, don't I? She said, yes, you do. And he said, why didn't you kill me? And she said, because I know the one who told us to love our enemies. So she chose the better part, not only refusing uh, to do him damage, but actually saving his life. So it's a witness, isn't it, of not succumbing to the cycle of violence in the world, choosing to meet it with love. It's a challenge to all of us. You know, to release that clenched fist that I have against anybody. Uh, to lay down the weapons of revenge. To choose true peace rather than violence. It's a challenge, but it's a grace. It's, it's God's way. It's the way of Jesus. It's what's distinctive about Christianity, all the religions in the world. Christians are known for the reality that we forgive, that we love our enemies. Another story from South Africa. Remember after Nelson Mandela came into power, um, many of the people who had been involved in uh, so much of the outrageous uh, behaviour towards black uh, South Africans, they were rounded up and some of them were thrown into prison and uh, the question was what to do with people who had been perpetrators of so much violence and so much hatred, uh, so much... Uh, offence uh, in a violent way towards the black people. They decided not to have a Nuremberg trial sort of style of thing uh, where people just be brought to the trial and be put to death, but rather to have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And so if people who had been perpetrators of violence ha had confessed publicly, then they would not be prosecuted. 
So there's a policeman named uh, Van der Broek on trial, uh, and many of the people from the local towns gathered for this trial of Mr. Van der Broek and the officers that he had. Some of them were black and some of them were white, but they'd offended in, by tremendous atrocities uh, over the, the years. And there was a woman uh, in the, the assembly, uh, and she had her case being brought forward because uh, she'd seen her son taken one day uh, and just, he disappeared. And later she found out that they'd killed him and, and had burned his body so that the, there'd be no um, evidence. Uh, and then later, her husband had been dragged out of the house by this same policeman, uh, and before her very eyes, he'd been tied to some tires, and they'd burnt him alive before her very eyes. And now here she was, listening to this whole uh, procedure that was going on in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So Mr. Vanderbrook was brought to the stand and he appealed. He asked forgiveness for all of the things. He admitted the offences that he had done and he asked forgiveness for not only himself and all his men. And, uh, and he wept uh, as he uh, confessed and asked forgiveness. And then um, Bishop uh, Desmond Tutu uh, turned to the woman and said, do you have something to say to Mr. Vanderbrook? And she said, yes, I do. She said, I want Mr. Vanderbrook to go to the place where he burnt my husband's body and to pick up the dust there, whatever's remains, and to give him an honourable funeral. And she said, because I have a lot of love left in me yet, I've lost my, my husband, I've lost my, my son, I still have a lot of love. And so I asked Mr. Vanderbrook to come to my place every two weeks and I'll give him a bit of love. And to prove to him that I forgive him, I'm now going to come over and embrace him. And as she started to move, the whole courtroom started to sing Amazing Grace. But Mr. Vanderbrook didn't hear the song. And nor was he able to receive the embrace because he had fainted under the power of mercy and forgiveness. So my friends, that of course is an heroic act of forgiveness and mercy. But within us too, we have the capacity to do this, not by our own strength, but by the grace of God, to love our enemies and to pray a blessing upon them. See, we have received mercy from the Lord. So much so, then, we need to give mercy. This is the way of Jesus. It's the heart of the gospel. Let's listen to the words of Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure 
that you get back. Another beautiful example, Elias Chakor, who was the Archbishop of of the Milkite uh, Catholic Church in Israel for a long time. Um, He grew up in in Birim, uh, a small village quite close to Nazareth, actually, and they had an idyllic sort of existence in those days, back in the 40s. But in 1947, when he was still a child, the Zionist soldiers came uh, after the war. They'd been given the, the, to do this. Uh, and they tricked uh, the Palestinian people. to uh, They had to leave their village. And they told them it was important. They had to leave their village and they'd keep them safe. But what, it was a trick. And so the people you know, went out naively into the, the living uh, outside of the village in the plantations outside, and they never allowed them back in again. They simply occupied the village. Uh, and his father, Elias's father, would always say, these are our blood brothers. We must love them. They're our blood brothers. But this was put to test so much more on Christmas Day when they were told finally they'd be able to go back to their village. And they came over the rise uh, to look at their village again for, and what they saw was bombers coming in, bombing their village to smithereens. And then that was being cleaned up by bulldozers. And Elias's father kept saying, they're our blood brothers. We must forgive them. We must love them. And Elias, as a young man, had this fire and anger in his heart. But one day when he was on the Golan Heights, he was praying and crying out to God. And he felt the peace of the Lord come upon him. And the Lord was saying to him, you are to be my peacemaker. And he sensed that he was, meant, he was called to be a priest. So he did. He went through the training for priesthood. But there was something Elias had yet to learn. Uh, and so as a young priest... He was uh, appointed to a, a, a parish in Ibi uh, Yin uh, in the Golan Heights. Uh, and he was dismayed when he arrived to find that there were in, amongst his own people, there was so much fighting, infighting, and there were factions in the parish, people hating one another and that sort of thing. And this came to a head one day when he was with the local policeman. He'd gone to his house because the local policeman's mother was dying. And Elias knew there were other, other brothers. And he said, why don't you call your brothers in as well? He said, no way. They're not going to come across my doorstep over my dead body. And Elias realized the depth of the hatred that was there in that family and in so many other families in the village. And so that night, he had the terrible night of sleep. He was sort of anguishing in his heart. And he felt rising within him an anger too, that he he knew he was capable of killing somebody. And in that darkness moment, he had a grace. He had to probably go to that darkest place to realize that the love of Christ is what's needed most. And so the next morning, he started to devise a plan of some way to bring people to their senses. The next Sunday was Palm Sunday. And so they all come out to Palm Sundays, like good Catholics always come to Palm Sunday, you get something free, huh? a, a, a palm. And, and so they're all there in, in the church. And Elias went through the ceremonies as normal. And at the end of the ceremony, at the, at the final benediction, 
He walked straight down the aisle of the church. He'd pre-planned all this. And he got a, a big um, chain, and he chained up the, the entrance to the church, the only entrance, uh, and he padlocked it and came back up the front. And he said, OK, here we are. I've locked the church, and we're not moving from here until we enter into the experience of forgiveness. He said, you people are, are a shame, a disgrace to the Christ, Christian world that you can't really love one another. And it's a scandal to all of those who are Jewish people around us, those who are Arabs around us, and they look at us and say, see how those Christians hate one another. That's not the way of Jesus. He said, well, we're going to stay here until we are reconciled. And he said, I'm not going to give you the key. And we just wait. And so there was stunned silence. And five minutes went by, ten minutes went by, still heavy silence and angry looks on people and people feeling very, very agitated. And he thought, maybe this is a bad idea. This could go very wrong. <laughs> but he stayed with it. Then after 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, the policeman stood up and he said, I'm the worst of all. I've offended my brothers. I've not been willing to forgive my brothers. And I'm sorry about that. And he said, and then he said, Abuna, addressing him. Abuna means like father. It's a tenderness address. Nobody had ever spoken to him as Abuna before. Abuna, he said, I have asked you to forgive me too. And so he came up and received an embrace from Elias. And then, then he was embracing his brothers. And then everyone was up. They were all embracing one another and all confessing and asking forgiveness of one another. There's a whole wave of reconciliation happened in the congregation. And it went on for about half an hour. And, and, and there were tears and a great excitement because people were starting to break down the barriers that they put up against one another for so long. And at the end of it, uh, Elias proclaimed, he said, it's only Palm Sunday, but really we've had Easter early. So this is an Easter celebration now because Christ has risen in our midst. The peace of Christ is present with us. We've learned to forgive. And so it was a very beautiful moment. But you know what? That became a catalyst for a whole movement of reconciliation right across uh, that whole region that little community of Ibayin became like a, a means by which many people came to know the Lord and were reconciled. They built schools, they built libraries, they got help from Europe uh, for community centers, from youth clubs, all for the Palestinian people, no matter who they were. Uh, you see, the Lord wants the church to be a sign of reconciliation and peace, but we can't be that if our own lives are not sort of really flowing in the reconciling love of the Lord. And so that little, that little community discovered the gift of forgiveness. And through that, being able to sort of be one with one another, they were able then to go out and love those around them and be a great sign of reconciliation and peace. That infighting has to be overcome in the church, doesn't it? Because it's a counter sign to who Jesus really is. We're not showing the face of Jesus. The face of Jesus is shown when we forgive our enemies, when we bless those who, who persecute us. 
So it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to love our brothers and sisters right within our, our local Christian communities. And then that can be a, a beautiful sign to the whole world that God has come, that there's another way to live, and it's the way of love. And bless his name.